0: Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia AudioCast. In today's episode, we have Part 2, the conclusion of Shed No Tears for Me by Frederick C. Davis. Part 1 of this classic Pulp story was posted on Tuesday, so be sure to check out your podcast feed to find that part of the story. The entire story is included in our new Pulp collection from Brick Pickle Media, Thrilling Pulp Detective Tales can find more information and order the book at brickpicklemedia.com books or from Amazon or any other bookstore. That link is also in the show notes. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2019. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. And with that, on with the show. The mist was already settling past the windows and the temperature outside was dropping toward freezing, making it the first cold day of the winter when Garth stepped into District Attorney Curtis Seaton's snug inner office the next morning. Garth was there in response to a summons from on high relayed through three secretaries. He was slightly red-eyed and shaky in contrast to Seaton's starchy self-possession. And he'd been a little late on the job this morning too, but he wasn't worrying about it. He took no pains this morning, as he usually did to act like a buck private confronting a five-star general as he listened to Seaton's pronouncement on the Leone case. We'll simply wait for the police to produce a murderess, if they can, Hal. No doubt it'll add up to another fa- signal failure for them, and so we'll want no part of it. That's right, Garth agreed, pointedly admitting his usual sir. He smiled across the polished desk. Until now, he had felt like a menial here, but no longer... The district attorney didn't know it yet, but a bright young man named Hal Garth was crowding up on him. For reasons unknown to Curtis Seaton, Garth would soon enjoy a few unprecedented privileges. Possibly, to Curtis Seaton's astonishment, Garth was about to be included on the Seaton's choicest guest list. He would soon begin appearing at the lavish cocktail parties and sumptuous dinners given at the Seaton home. Curtis Seaton might protest that Hal Garth was hardly one of their set, but Marta would insist. This would be really only the beginning of a brilliant future for Hal Garth. Professionally, too, thanks to Marta. While there was really no limit to the progress Garth might make in this office from now on, it might even be possible that before too long, Garth himself might be officiating here in the district attorney's chair, giving an underling the same aloof kind of look that Curtis Seaton was giving him now. Have you nothing to add to your report, Hal? Silent a moment longer, Hal Garth felt sorry for Seaton. Seaton tried to be a good guy, tried really hard. At moments when he unbent, he seemed warm-hearted, generous, beamingly proud of his lovely daughter. The truth about her, if ever should hit him, would be enough to break him up horribly, even enough to destroy him completely. The mere thought of it put a twinge of pity into Garth's heart. But of course, Seaton would never learn. As Garth was planning it, Marta willing, keeping courtesy and ignorance would make it a pleasanter situation all around. Much pleasanter. No, nothing to add, Garth said. As he left Seaton's office, one of the DA's Corps of Secretaries informed him, there was a phone call for you just now, Mr Garth, from Sergeant Brand. Johnny, Garth's nerves jerked. Did he leave a message? He said he's anxious to get in touch with you, although he didn't say what about. Garth went to the phone on his desk, his pulse a little faster. The call he made the call he made reached directly across the street to homicide's offices and police headquarters. A gruff voice answered shortly. Johnny left a minute ago. Nah he didn't say where he was heading. Disconnecting, Garth thought hard about that unknown piece of evidence which Johnny had found under Leone's cooling corpse. It might add up, or it might not, Johnny had said, but either way, he must be working on it now. With all the dogged zest in him, Johnny would trace that evidence as far as the job could be pushed, which might mean as far as Martis seton The back of Garth's mind had swarmed with speculations about that evidence all through a restless night, and now, again, he was left in chilling uncertainty— not knowing what the evidence was, he couldn't guard himself and Marty against the potential danger in it. Until he learned where that evidence might be leading Johnny, he couldn't even begin how to try to stymie him. Gar's next move was urgent to find out about the evidence and, if possible, neutralize it. Garth strode from the DA's office without leaving word as to where he was bound or when he would be back. The mist was lower, thick and biting cold in the street as he crossed the police headquarters. He pushed into a rear door of homicide suite and found most of the squad out. An older officer, a veteran near the retirement age whose job was all paperwork, looked up at Garth with a twinkle of welcome in his eyes. Pop Chase, a sort of father-confessor to all headquarters, was far too mellow to share the interdepartmental rivalries of his boys. Look, Pop, Garth tried not to sound too worried. Got any idea what Johnny wants to see me about? Well, yes, laddie, Chase said paternally. He was talking to me about it only a little while ago. It's about a piece of evidence in the Leone killing. Garth asked with burning tenseness. What about it, Pop? Johnny was a little sorry over the way he acted about it last night, laddie. Having thought it over, he figures that since you're the one who found the corpse, he shouldn't have held out on you like that. He thinks you and him ought to try to work along together on it. Garth said next, trying to conceal the tightness of his nerves. Okay, Pop, but did he mention what that evidence consists of? That he did, my lad. Just a lady's dainty little handkerchief. No initials on it, you understand. No marks at all, but just a little perfume. Very fine bit of linen with the scent of a lovely garden on it. Garth's mind began running over and over it. A handkerchief, fine linen, expensive perfume. No doubt a fragrance as distinctive as money could buy. Marta's. Johnny Brand had actually, literally, picked up her scent. His nerves growing hotter, Garth asked, what is Johnny plan to do with it, Pop? Trying to trace it out, of course. Admitting he'll need a lot of luck. You see, he figures the handkerchief alone can't mean anything. But the woman who lost it must have others exactly like it. Haven' probably bought him by the box of the dozen. Chances are thin, Johnny says. But if he can manage to find that same perfume on a woman, who owns more handkerchiefs like the one left under Leone, why then Johnny will have himself a murderess. Garth forced a laugh. So what's Johnny going to do, Pop? Stand around a street corner sniffing every woman who passes by? He laughed again. Better warn him to watch out he doesn't pick up a cold in the nose, Pop. That could clog with the wheels of justice for fair. Garth kept the laugh going until he was outside Homicide's offices. Then the strained grin dropped off his face. Johnny had something to work on, all right. Something that might come to nothing, but on the other hand, a mere whiff of flowery air could turn it instantly into dynamite. Under ordinary circumstances, Johnny might never wander close to Marta Seton. But it need happen only once. By some ironic freak of luck, Johnny should happen in the DA suite at a time when Marta had dropped in. If some ghastly trick of fate should bring Marta near Johnny anywhere at all for a casual passing. Garth was striding rapidly along the downstairs hall of police headquarters. He meant to fix it so that Johnny would never catch a single deadly whiff of that fragrance near Marta, never find a duplicate of that handkerchief in her possession. Johnny's evidence would add up to exactly zero after Garth had told Marta to dump that perfume and burn the linen. Garth sidled into a phone booth near headquarters entrance. A grim sort of jubilation was back in his heart as he dialed a number and said, Miss Marta Seaton, please. The maid's voice answered. Sorry, sir, but Miss Marta is out. Garth's confident smile faded. This is important. Where can I reach her? She didn't say where she was going, sir. When will she be back? She didn't say, sir. Garth said in clipped syllables, I'll call again, and hung up. He pushed out of the booth in a cold flush of anger. Good Lord, was Marta so sure of herself as all that? To go out of reach at a time when she should be keeping herself on her toes every minute for any message, any warning that might flash to her? Swinging out of headquarters, Garth reminded himself there's no reason to get panicky so fast. The only danger was that Johnny and Marta might somehow come near each other, but so far it was a chance in a million. The odds against it would hold, Garth felt sure, until he got a warning word through to Marta. Back in the DA's domain, he intended to sit tight, but as he wound his way to his desk, the same secretary flagged him. Johnny Brand called again, Mr. Garth, said he wants to connect with you as soon as possible. Garth's patience suddenly tightened to the snapping point. Johnny's attempt to reach him could mean that that damned evidence was really building up. Johnny might have checked the choices downtown shops and found one that stocked those extra fine linens, and if so, of course, it was one having the name of Seton among his charge accounts. Johnny's enthusiastic sleuthing struck Garth full of uncertainties again, put him under pressure to find Marta fast. He answered the secretary sharply. Next time Johnny calls, tell him he'll find me at my apartment. I'll be waiting for him there. He strode out again. Tooling his car to the official parking space, he only half noticed the bite of the mist and the frozen spots on the pavement. A sudden spinning of his rear wheels warned him that a film of ice was making driving conditions hazardous, but his mind remained on the greater unknown hazard of Johnny Brand's sleuthing, Anna Marta. Using his apartment phone while waiting for Johnny to show he could again try in safe privacy to find her. Garth slowed his car to squeeze past the construction work on the Canal Street Bridge. He was taking the last turn to his apartment when a signal light flickered on the dashboard and a bell purred. Hal Garth reached for the telephone. This was one of Curtis Seaton's innovations. Mobile phones in the cars of all his staff members so that he might command them day and night, even when they are in transit from one ordinary wired phone to another. This one, operating via shortwave, made Seaton almost inescapable. Mr. Garth, a secretary's voice said, Mr. Seaton would like to know why you left your desk. Garth snapped, official business, and clicked the instrument back on its hook. He was still fuming over Seaton's nagging officiousness when he parked his car in front of his apartment. He strode rapidly down the hall, fishing for his key and stopped short. His door had opened before him and Marta was slipping out. "Hal," she said softly. At last, darling, I've been waiting for you, hoping you'd come. It's been so lonely. He stepped closer, smiling, there alone in the hall. There was no one to see him sliding his arms around her. The hall stayed empty to the end of their long kiss. Marta's lips left his lingeringly. Not lonely anymore, Garth said, grinning. Come right back in and let's... "'Her hands tightened on his arm, keeping his hand away from the knob. "'No, darling, not now. Let's let's go someplace. "'After all, people will have to begin seeing us together.' "'She kissed him quickly again and tugged him away from the door. "'Besides, I have a wonderful plan to tell you about. "'A really marvelous plan, darling.' "'Her eagerness wasn't to be denied. "'He went with her back to his car. "'Her cheeks were hotly flushed, she saw, "'and she shook her smoky hair free in the cold wind. "'As he turned the car from the curb, "'Marta slid snugly close to his side and closed both her hands on his arm.' As he drove carefully, feeling the dangerous slickness of the ice film on the street, he said, That's a lovely perfume you're wearing. Really delightful. And dangerous. There's someone on the handkerchief you dropped in Leone's parlor last night. She was silent, dreamy-eyed, with her head resting on his shoulder. Hear me, Marta, you've got to get rid of that perfume fast. Those extra fine handkerchiefs of yours, too. Burn every one of them right away. Marta, listen, I'm trying to tell you- "'Let's not think about that more, darling,' Marta put in quickly. "'I've been thinking about it all night and day. "'It's not good, having to wonder all the time where they're about to find us. "'Wondering and never being quite sure.' "'That's one thing about murder, my lovely. "'You can get to worrying about it.' "'Her hand began tightening on his arm. "'But let's get away from it. Let's go away together, darling. "'Let's go as far, far away from it as we possibly can. "'Go, today, right now. Oh, let's, darling.' A very attractive idea, Garth said wryly. She seemed not to be listening. Isn't it strange, darling? Only a few days ago we hardly knew each other, but suddenly you're everything to me, everything life can be. There's nothing I want more than to go away with you to a place where we can be the only two people on Earth. Let's start right now, this very minute. Garth felt the ceaseless flexing of her fingers on his arm, and an uneasiness crept into his mind. That would make it a little sudden, wouldn't it? "'But why not, darling? "'It's what I've always yearned to do, "'to run away to the end of the world, the man I love. "'We'll have such a lovely life together, "'forgetting everything, everything except having each other. "'No worries at all, just sun and sea breezes and lazy fun. "'As for making a living, you won't even have to think about it. "'I've lots of money, you know. "'We'll just take on all the money we'll ever need. "'There's nothing to hold us back, darling. "'Really, nothing.' "'Then the signal light flashed again on the dashboard. "'Marty didn't notice it as Garth reached for the hands "'that she went right on talking.' A beautiful place in the tropics, darling. Let's just turn right at the next corner and head straight for our own private paradise together. In the phone, a secretary's voice said, District Attorney Seaton calling, Mr. Garth. Hold on. Then quickly, Seaton's own voice followed crisply. Garth, what do you know about Sergeant Johnny Brand? Watching the slippery street, Garth answered, Nothing, sir. Haven't seen him today. You're certain you haven't, Garth? Certainly, sir. With growing tension, Garth asked, What's happened? He's dead. The wind flowing in the open window felt suddenly, sharply colder on Garth's face. When his voice came back, he said incredulously, He can't be. Johnny Brand is dead, Garth. Murdered. District Attorney Seaton's words sound mercilessly precise. Now I must ask you again, what do you know about it? Nothing. Why do you insist on asking? Because he was murdered in your apartment. Garth sat silent and very still. His face was cold, the wind pouring over it, yet a fever was growing inside him. He was hotly conscious of Marta's closeness at his side, of her slender fingers kneading the flesh of his arm, of her lovely head resting on his shoulder. In my... Exactly, Garth. He was found there only a few minutes ago. The janitor had gone up to see about an overflowing washbowl. Johnny dead was... Exactly, Garth. He was found there only a few minutes ago. The janitor had gone to see about an overflowing washbowl. Johnny Brand was dead on your living room floor, his head broken by a liquor bottle, and the water in that bowl was red with blood. Can you explain this, Garth? Garth forced out, No, sir. Nevertheless, I'm expecting you here in my office at the soonest possible moment. I- I'm heading that way now, sir. Sensing that Seton was about to sever the connection, Garth added quickly, By the way, sir, I have your daughter here in the car with me. Just happened to pick her up. "'That's so,' Seaton sounded as if he disapproved of the company his daughter was keeping. "'Well, please drive very carefully, Garth. Traffic conditions look very bad. I wouldn't want anything to happen.' "'No, sir,' Garth said acridly. "'You wouldn't want anything to happen. To her.' Hanging up, he put both hands back on the wheel, gripping hard. Marta's head still rested on his shoulder. That dreamy, faraway look remained in her smoky eyes. She seemed unaware of the call from her father.' unaware of everything except her misty visions. Our own private paradise together, darling, she murmured. It'll be really heaven, because I love you so much, more than life itself. His hands crushing the wheel, Garth knew it was a shameless lie. She cherished him as a means of escape, that was all. He had thought he had her trapped, and suddenly saw that he was, instead, another of her victims, her dupe. This lovely patrician creature was in fact a merciless destroyer a woman of secret evils who could be aroused in an instant to maniacal furies, She had killed not merely once, but twice. Twice within twelve hours. And God help Garth, she would kill again. Her killing might never stop. He knew clearly what had happened. Johnny, going to his apartment, had found Marta already there. It was the one in a million chance that had brought the detective straight to the hunted woman's scent, a meeting that Garth himself had unwittingly arranged. A very distinctive, very expensive scent it was that Johnny had found there rising no doubt from another of Marta's fine linen handkerchiefs, and a very deadly one. Marta's blind, insane attempt to save herself from him had left Johnny lifeless, of all places, on Garth's own rug. You crazy fool, he blurted. You can't run away from it. You can't run fast enough or far enough to get away from this. Marta lifted her head from his shoulder. But hell, darling, we've got to try. We've got nothing to lose by trying, darling, and if we make it, we'll have each other for always. He'll be heaven for us together. He knew then suddenly the only way out was to kill her. Her nearness was like a fever in him as he decided it. To him, no woman on earth could ever be more vitally desirable, but she was an evil thing and he knew he must kill her now. Maybe you're right after all, Marta. This was something that couldn't be hushed up now. With Marta remaining within the law's reach, her father could never survive it. Not that Garth particularly favored the elegant Curtis Seton, of course, but still he scarcely deserved destruction of the delicate, bloodied hands of the daughter he adored. Marta wasn't thinking of her father now, of course, or of Garth either, either. Marta wasn't thinking of her father now, of course, or of Garth either, or of anything except saving her own lovely hide. Garth knew that they could never make it, but he said, Yes, maybe you're right after all, Marta, my darling. First turn to the right, you said? He had already sent the car spurting up the ramp of the Canal Street Bridge, its rear wheels spinning with a buzzsaw whir. The construction work directly ahead on the right was the repair of a railing broken only a few days ago by a car that had skidded and crashed through to the railroad tracks 30 feet below. The ice in the pavement was sending Garth's car into a wild series of yaws even before he twisted the wheel violently to the right. Let's go, darling, he howled. Right now! Marta screamed, her words rang in Garth's ears. No, no, not this way! The car jolted with the first impact and wooden braces exploded in jagged fragments past the windshield. Marta's arms clasped Garth in frantic tightness, more tight than ever before as the car plunged free. Destination Hell. Together. And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening today. And just a reminder that if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brick Pickle Media production, and we'll be back with a new episode next week.